Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Unscripted Faith Podcast, the podcast for Christian women to come together and learn how to apply the Word of God to our daily lives. I'm your host, Jesse T, and today we will be discussing how to suffer. Before we get started, it kind of makes sense to try to figure out what's the point of suffering in a certain way. Well, for one thing, how we suffer is actually a testimony to other people. It's either going to be a good testimony or a bad testimony. And good testimonies can draw people closer to the Lord while bad testimonies can push them further away. As a representative for Christ, it is our job to be an example and a light to the rest of the world. Yes, even when we don't feel like it, that is still our job. Even when we've been kicked down and haven't even had a chance to get back up on our own two feet yet, that is still the most important thing that we can do is to be a testimony to other people. And I know it seems like a ton of pressure, and it is, but it's also the truth. We have spent a great deal of time in this podcast explaining and establishing the fact that we Christians are not necessarily called to a life of excitement and riches and fame or self-fulfillment, at least not in a worldly sense. So we should try to understand that we will be called to do things that do not feel good to us in our flesh. Like having to be a light to a dark and lost world does not always sound so fun when you yourself are in a dark place, when you feel like you're suffocating and you just can't even breathe. But another reason that we should suffer in a certain way is because it will, to some extent, make our own lives a little bit easier. Jesus says to take his yoke upon us. He says that his burden is light and that if we do this, we will find rest for our souls. Have you gotten there with your own faith yet? Well, if not, don't worry because you will eventually and it may take a long time. God works on his own timeline. We all know that, but I really want to make sure that you understand because if you think about it in a practical sense, if we choose to feed that flesh dog that we were talking about a few episodes ago, that flesh dog that is angry all the time, who builds up walls that no one can penetrate, the one that acts all tough and unemotional, it actually takes a lot of work to maintain that facade. Because what I found is that most people I know who act that way, Christian or not, are actually some of the most sensitive and emotional people on the planet. They live in this reactionary space where everything is something that they must respond to. And when they respond to it, they're responding from a place of their trauma and their own hurt. It's kind of like that thing where it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. And honestly, if you're spending so much time building walls and maintaining them, you may not find that you have an easy time allowing Jesus to be present in your life, to soften your heart toward the word and to teach you whatever it is that this trial is supposed to teach you. In other words, there is a chance that you could just be dragging this process out much longer than it needs to be. So don't be that person. Just make it a little bit easier on yourself and work on being patient, which, as we've said before, means to check your attitude that you're portraying as you go through your trials. It means trying not to be so cynical. It means trying not to build those walls. So try resisting the temptation to build that type of life for yourself while you're going through your suffering. We could do a whole podcast episode on why we must suffer in a certain way, but that's not the point of today's episode. Today we're focusing on how or what to do when we suffer, because trials are inevitable. They cannot be avoided no matter how nice we are, how much money we have, who our parents are, where we live, who the president is, or anything. So here's what we need to think about. 
when we go through our trials and seasons of suffering, the first thing we need to know is don't worry. Did you know that there are 365 verses in the Bible that say something to the effect of do not fear or don't worry? One such verse is found in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, bring your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's actually a lot here in this one verse to unpack. First of all, don't be anxious for any reason. Next, pray and make your petitions known to God. Make your requests known to him. Do you remember in another episode recently when we said that prayer isn't always just giving the Lord our to-do list and walking away and waiting until he accomplishes those things? But instead, it's coming before God with a heart that's actually willing to be conformed to his heart and his mind. So when you come before God in your trials, ask him to help you get your mind right so that you want what he wants because we know that he works all things, including our suffering, together for the good of those who love him. But that doesn't mean that you will not hurt sometimes. The next thing in this verse is to bring your petitions before him. This is kind of a neat thing that is added in here alongside of prayer because God does leave room for us to make requests. But I don't think that our request should override our desire to have our minds conform to his. After prayer and petitions, we have the instruction for thanksgiving. Yes, you can find something to be thankful for, even in your darkest moments, if you train your mind for it. But it is a process for a lot of people. Still, training your mind to see things to be grateful for during your trials is so important because it tends to shift our perspective a little bit, maybe even just enough to keep us somewhat sane when we're hurting. Plus, the Bible says, enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. So while you're making your requests, do not forget to offer him praise and thanksgiving. And the result of these things, your prayer, your petitions, and your thanksgiving, is that the peace of God will guard your hearts. You ever met someone who is just so addicted to drama? I know I was one of those people because I was raised in that type of environment. Life wasn't normal unless chaos was spinning all around me. And I know that there are people that have had that same type of upbringing. There was no room for the peace of God to rule in our hearts because that felt like uncertainty and chaos. But you can have it. You can get used to it. You can fall in love with it. Because where peace is, that's where God is. That's where he's ministering to you and giving you the energy for you to be able to step forward and face a new day while you're going through your trials. So what does that mean that God will give you peace that will guard your hearts? And what does that look like? Well, I think as far as I can tell from my own experiences in life, it means that we will experience calm in chaotic situations sometimes, or that we will be able to know that God is trustworthy and that's the biggest reason why I think we need to learn to suffer well. It's so that we can know that he isn't out to get us. He is for us, not against us, the way that the world tries to portray. He's there to help us along in our quest to stop worrying. And Peter gives us this verse. He says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. This verse is 1 Peter 5, 7. Well, how exactly do you cast your cares upon him? And I know that may seem like a very basic thing, 
but actually it's not easy for a lot of people to just let go of their anxieties. Again, it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. It takes effort. It takes being taught and it takes being receptive to learning how to give up your cares and give them to Jesus. So how do we do this? Well, we have to pray just like we talked about. The next verse sort of speaks back to the why of suffering as well. And this verse that I'm referring to is first Peter again, but chapter two, verse 19, it says, God is pleased when we are conscious of his will and suffer and endure unjust treatment with patience. Let me attempt to deconstruct and paraphrase this verse so that hopefully we don't miss the good stuff here. God is pleased when we are aware of his will. You can't be aware of his will unless you are quiet before the Lord. And you can't be quiet before the Lord unless you are filled with peace. That's why it's so important to pray with thanksgiving and praise and the things that we just talked about. God is pleased when we are aware of his will and we suffer because that's part of the deal of being a Christian, remember? And when we endure unjust treatment, because remember, they will hate us because they first hated him, but we must do so with patience or a good attitude. Do you understand what's being said here? If not, let me flip it and kind of just reverse it for you. Every person, Christian or not, will go through trials. Every person who has breath in their lungs will suffer. But the Christian who is aware of God's will will suffer with a good attitude, unlike most of our unsaved friends and relatives. Why? Because we keep going to the great physician for healing. And we don't know when we're going to receive that healing, but we do know that at the end of the tunnel, there is a light and there is a day where we will be healed. Maybe not on this side of heaven, but someday. And our unsaved friends and relatives do not have that same hope. They just don't. There is no other way that they can come to that same peace that you have access to. It is not hard to suffer and become bitter about your trials. Think about it. It's so easy to become cynical and to start hating people who hurt you and to start dishing out what you've been given. It's natural for us to want to curse God and die like Job's wife said to her husband during their trial back in the book of Job. It is natural for us to want to lash out at God or somebody else. It's natural for us to want to hurt someone else just as badly as they've hurt us, but it is entirely unnatural to suffer with grace and to withhold our desired revenge upon the people who hurt us. It's unnatural to suffer in such a way that we trust God with whatever circumstances come our way. It is unnatural that we would suffer in a way that we can still be genuinely happy, even though we're hurting. You may have noticed that I emphasize the word genuinely. Well, that's because I want you to be aware that the world can see through your fake smiles and forced laughter. There's really not much honor in pretending to be happy. That's why God is willing to fill you with the peace that surpasses all understanding so that you have room for true joy, even in your struggle. But if you remain close to God in your trial and you work toward fixing your attitude to allow God to teach you in your trial, you will eventually find a joy that is genuine because of the promise that you will have a peace that surpasses all understanding. So don't try to fake your way through holiness. You can't trick God. Truly seek the Lord in your suffering. 
and let him fill you with his peace by the power of his Holy Spirit. Matthew 5, 43 through 45 says, You've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is the hardest instruction for me, praying for those who cause me so much grief in this world. But I'm starting to come around to the idea of praying for my enemies with the reminder that all things and all people are made by him and for him and through him including those whom I don't care for, including those who cause me all of the problems that I experience. But there was something that I saw on Instagram recently that said, you will never look into the eyes of a person that God does not love. See, God didn't just die for me or just die for you. He died for every single soul so that everyone might come to him. Praying for our enemies is not only biblical, but if we attempt to pray for them with sincerity, it actually tends to soften our hearts toward them. Remember who you were before you got saved? Honestly, it's been so long since I've been saved that sometimes I forget who I once was, but I do know this. My flesh is still very much alive and well, so I don't have to look far for little reminders of just how ungodly I can be sometimes. If I stub my toe ungodly language is going to come out of me, unfortunately. If my kids are driving me nuts, I'm probably going to flip a lid or something, and it's probably not going to be the most godly speech. The point is, we were all lost and blind at one point, and it was grace, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who saved us and opened our eyes. And the same is true for our enemies as well. It can happen for them. So give them a chance, not in and of yourselves or anything you can do to save them, but give them a chance to be prayed over and see what God will do. I'm sure that somewhere along the line before you got saved, there was someone in your life who prayed over you at one point or another, and they gave you a chance, even if they didn't think that you deserved it. Romans 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. This is in the same vein of what we just discussed, praying for your enemies. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Do you really entrust your soul to God? Like, do you trust him with everything? Do you enable other people's sins, maybe the sins of someone that you love? Do you trust God with your finances, with your marriage? Do you trust God to deal with your own sin, even the one that you don't live out loud? Do you trust God to deal with the dreams that you have, with the fantasies that you give into? Do you trust God with your very soul? Our souls are basically understood as being our inmost being. So do you trust God with the well-being of your inmost being? And while you're trusting him, are you doing good? Or are you manipulating situations because you can't see any other way that things should work out? Are you telling half-truths? Are you trying to do things in your own strength based on your own understanding? Are you trying to get back at someone for something that they did? The Bible wants us to entrust the well-being of our inmost being to God, who is a faithful creator. And while we're waiting on him and trusting him to do what only he can do, we are supposed to do good. Things like praying for others blessing others, being in the word, remaining patient, staying in fellowship with other believers, encouraging others, and those sorts of things. We are told not to sin in our suffering. 
this is sort of addressing the end part of what this verse is that we just read that said while doing good. So it stands to reason that in order to do good, we must not do bad things. So we are called to avoid sin, even in our season of suffering. First Peter 4.16 says, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, troublemaker. But if any of you does suffer as a Christian, he is not ashamed, but to glorify God. In our previous podcast, we've linked the connection between temptation and sin. So as Christians, we should avoid anything that tempts us to do anything that is going to lead us to sin. We're supposed to go to church regardless of whether or not we are suffering. The church is supposed to be a refuge for the suffering Christian. It is not a place that we should avoid just because we've had some bad experiences with some sinful people in the past. If your church is a wayward church and there are doctrinal issues or some major red flags and that's the reason why you don't want to go, then work on finding a different church because I can tell you that the Lord does care where you go to church because that is the shepherd whose leadership you are placing yourself under to be fed, to become a stronger and better Christian. And so it does matter where you go to church and the Lord cares about that. So bring it to him in prayer if you're going to the wrong kind of church. But just understand that online church is not a substitute. It's fine if you're sick or you've got some other reason why right now you can't get to church, but don't make it your new habit. It's not the same thing as fellowshipping with believers and being part of a community. Get your physical body inside of a church of physical believers who you can do life with so you can bear each other's burdens. And we also have to remember that how we suffer does affect other people, just like our sin affects other people. So does our attitude in life and our attitude through trials. We've already touched on praying and trusting God in our trials, but James 5.13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Since Jesus is our example for every aspect of the way that we should conduct ourselves in life, let's just take a moment to remember that Jesus prayed. He prayed when he was stressed out in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed on the cross. He prayed when he was sad because his friend Lazarus was dead. He prayed before he ate food. He prayed for everything. His connection with God was constant. And while he was on this earth, that connection was exemplified through prayer. And that is how our lives should be as well. Hebrews 10.39 says, We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Are you someone who, when you go through trials, you beckon back to this sort of attitude or this persona that has been like, raised up in you from a young age where you're like, my mom taught me better than this, or I've gotten myself this far, I can get myself to the next level, or I'm going to make my father proud. You know, those people who just lean back on where they came from or their ancestral experiences in order to try to conjure up their inner strength. If this sounds like you, this verse should really resonate with you. The difference is your mom your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, past experiences, your will to survive cannot save you. In this verse, it's pointing you forward and upward to your identity in Christ and to your destiny 
in your homeland called heaven, which you have not yet been to. Another thing that we should be doing as we go through our trials is to be willing to testify. But in order to do that, you have got to be aware of God's work in your situation. So that ties right back into this idea of having a grateful and thankful heart. You can't do that, really, if you're not making an effort to look for God's blessings. That's kind of why the Apostle Paul says that we should be content in all circumstances. If you are on the lookout for the goodness of God, then you really have no choice but to share your testimony with others because it just is going to exude out of you that your Heavenly Father has done all of these things for you and through you for His glory. And it's going to be something so amazing you cannot contain it. Remember, your testimony is not just limited to the story of how you found Jesus. It's also the everyday things that God has done for you, with you, to you, and through you. 2 Corinthians 4, 8-10 through 10 says, We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Okay, let's stop right here. It is okay to acknowledge your suffering, by the way. Denying the fact that you are suffering and that it hurts will only diminish your testimony. If you think about it, it's going to dilute the part of the story or the part of the testimony where God comes in and fixes things that seemed impossible. So don't be afraid to acknowledge that things are tough. Just don't stay there and nurture your depression so that you can't get out of it. All right, let's continue. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not abandoned. Let's pause again. Persecution has a tendency to make you feel alone. But here, the Apostle Paul is telling us that we are not alone in our persecution. Let's make an effort to remember that when we experience trials that cause us great pain. Okay, let's continue. We are struck down, but not destroyed always carrying around the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. In other words, yes, we are going to suffer. And yes, it is going to hurt. But surely there is something that we can testify about. And when we do so, we can share the testimony of Christ Jesus, our living God, Of course, the obvious point to be made here about how to go through suffering is to follow Christ's example. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his footsteps. Christ suffered for what is right, not for what is wrong. He suffered correctly to glorify the Father. I want to say something here, and this may rub some people the wrong way, but I think it needs to be heard because I grew up in a household where nothing was okay unless everything was chaotic. And so as I grew up, I only knew drama. I didn't know how to be peaceful. What I want to say to you here, Christ suffered for what is right, not for what is wrong. So do not go through your life trying to act out on your negative emotions towards other people. That is not what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to do exactly what Jesus did. And remember, he turned the other cheek. He did not revile those who reviled him. He did not answer back. He was quiet. That doesn't mean you don't get to defend yourself. But my point is simply, don't make your life more difficult if you don't need to. 
learn to be quiet and be content in your circumstances. And I will admit, it does seem unnatural to our flesh to suffer by the example that Jesus left us. But that is exactly what we must do. Our whole life is exactly opposite of what is natural for us to do. I mean, it's a weird example to think about, but it's almost like training a dog or any other animal, really. Dogs just don't know how to behave in a home. It's unnatural to them. They were not born to live in homes. They were born to live in the wilderness. So what do we do as dog owners? We train them. That is, we teach them how to act less impulsively and less fleshy, if you will. And we teach them exactly how we expect them to behave in a variety of different circumstances. After all, how they behave ends up being a direct reflection on how well we are taking care of them. It's the same with God and us, actually. We must be trained to deny our flesh so that we can reflect the goodness of our God. So how did Jesus behave in trials? What did he or didn't he do? Well, let's take a look at it. Here are some points just for starters. Although he was harshly criticized and mocked, he did not try to come up with more comebacks or scathing insults or with damaging words or accusations. And although he was God incarnate and he had access to know very personal things about the people who were putting him on the cross, he did not air their dirty laundry. He did not seek to destroy their reputation. He did not cause any harm. He didn't utter any threats. He trusted God's judgment and that requires us to sit and be still you cannot say that you are trusting god's will if you're out there trying to manipulate situations or get back at people you are not trusting god's judgment you are trusting your judgment and you're trusting god to use the work that you're doing to hurt somebody back because you have perceived judgment the way that you want to perceive it rather than the way that god does but you have to remember You only have like a little pinhole view into your life and your situations. God has a 360 degree aerial view from every possible angle. He knows what is best. The only way that you can trust a God that you can't see because he's so big is for you to sit down and be quiet and let him be magnified. Jesus trusted God's will. Jesus trusted his father's will. He trusted his father's plan. And he patiently, with a calm demeanor, endured the suffering that he was subjected to. He did nothing to sin. He did not break any of the Ten Commandments. He stayed silent so that he would not misrepresent God. Okay, I know someone out there is listening to this and thinking, but you have no idea what they've done to me, or you don't know what they've said about me, or they've destroyed my life. And that is true. I do not know your personal situation. And yes, I do know and acknowledge that some situations are worse than others. And let's acknowledge that there are legal systems. There are people who have made a career out of settling debates and different skirmishes. In some cases, that exists for the purpose of dealing with certain types of attacks. And it is true that you can employ those methods to go about dealing with getting the justice that you want or need. And you would be within your rights to access those avenues. I'm not here to discern or judge every single individual circumstance. 
I myself have been through a situation of losing my reputation that I spent a lifetime to build, and I lost it in a very public and shameful and hurtful way. I've lost it all. I, too, wanted to sue the pants off of those who ruined my life, but I didn't. For many different reasons, I chose not to. In retrospect, and it's always in retrospect that we can see clearly, I'm actually so glad that I didn't do those things. Not because they didn't deserve to be punished for what they did to me, because those people did deserve to be punished, but because I've been able to heal so much more effectively without all of the weight of the legal proceedings, including the costs and the time, and without choosing to stay a broken person inside because of the hurt that they caused me. I learned that suffering in such a way that God gets the glory instead of the lawyer that I could have hired or instead of my own husband whom I could have unleashed on these people to get back at them or instead of taking matters into my own hands, God has brought me the greatest healing of all because I stayed quiet. He saved me a ton of grief and probably shortened the lifespan of their ridiculous attacks or at least for now or at least just diminish them to the extent where they are bearable compared to if I had chosen to start World War III, so to speak, by getting back at them. And then we had this absolute pattern of just going back and forth, back and forth and starting this vendetta and getting the whole town involved, even though they deserved what my soul wanted to give them. I am sure that at some point I have caused other people that same pain and they felt the same about me. But Jesus stood in my place and died for my sins, and he's done that for you too. We didn't get what we deserved, and it's a beautiful thing. I'm not a perfect person. Neither are you. Neither is anybody else. Thank God we do not get what we deserve. And I have to remember, again, as unnatural as it is, God forgave us, and so we are commanded to extend that forgiveness to others. It doesn't mean that I have to be best friends with these people or that I have to let my guard down or that we're going to sit next to each other at the next basketball game or in a movie theater. It does not mean that I allow myself to just become blissfully unaware of how they've hurt me or how they've hurt my family. It doesn't mean that we become Facebook friends and it does not mean that they automatically ever, maybe never, get to have proximity to myself or my family again, depending on what they've done. It doesn't mean anything like that. Our culture has done a terrible job teaching about what forgiveness is. We've kind of twisted it up so much that people are afraid of forgiveness because they think it means that we have to give something that is undeserved to the people that have hurt us. And only in a sense is that correct. What it means is that we let go of the anger and we let go of the fear and we just abandon this idea of trying to get back at these people and give them what they deserve. It means that I allow God to work inside of me to heal my wounds so that I can pray for them because somewhere along the line, I'm sure that I have been someone else's nemesis and that they took time to pray for me as well. And I will just tell you that forgiveness does have the power to heal so many things in your life. I will tell you that it was through the act of forgiving someone who hurt me and went out of their way to do so that I was actually able to finally understand God's unconditional love because here this person was begging me for forgiveness and I was put in a position of being the one to be able to give that forgiveness that they were asking for. 
and it felt so good. And although it was supernatural, it wasn't actually that unnatural at all. And I kind of got a picture of what maybe that must have felt like to God when he was able to satisfy the penalty for our sin on the cross. And through that act of being able to lavish this forgiveness on this person who tried so hard to ruin me, I started to understand God's unconditional love. I mean, it's just something that unlocked the door and took me to spiritual depths that I would never have been able to reach if it weren't for being allowed to see what that's like to forgive someone. Forgiveness is so powerful. And I just want to make sure that you're not blocking yourself from that type of healing because it will change your relationship with God if you can truly learn the art of forgiveness and pass that on to your kids so that it doesn't take them 30 years to figure out what does it mean to actually forgive somebody. Okay, that's all I have for you this week. I want to thank you all for joining me. I hope that this episode really has been a blessing to you. And if it has, or if you know someone else who would be blessed by it, please just share it with them. We'll be starting a new topic next week. I haven't quite determined what that topic is going to be just yet, but it won't be suffering. (laughs) If you have any questions or comments or ideas about this podcast, please feel free to reach out to me at unscriptedfaithpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful week.